And last week, if you remember, we discussed the, the three roots of salvation, that is, the promise of the gospel, the evidences of grace that have been wrought in the life of the believer, and the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. These three things being those roots which cause us to or bring us to a fuller and better and complete assurance of our salvation in Jesus. And primary of that one, of course, is the sure promise of God. This is the objective ground of our assurance and of our faith. And so today, we're going to move past the three roots over to consider particularly the practice of assurance. I, I titled this the practice of, insur- of assurance, not knowing if that was the best word to put it here, but I say that because assurance and growing in assurance is not merely something that is thought about, but is also practiced in the Christian life. And assurance is something that ought to be pursued. The first thing, though, we want to do and see as we consider this subject, we're going to go through four things, and the first of those four is to distinguish between the faith which leads to salvation and the assurance which brings much fruit and joy in the Christian life. And it's important to not, I don't want to say decouple these things, but to distinguish between these things because there are, there are some environments, some Christian environments, where assurance of faith and being a believer, having a uh, salvation which is sure, are so coupled together that when a Christian doubts then other Christians likewise doubt their salvation. And this ends up being a a tyrannical spiral where if I have doubts, I I ought not bring them forward lest someone question my, my my salvation in Christ. And also then we start basing our our salvation on our own uh, perception of the blessing of God and how much I feel the blessing to be mine rather than basing it on the objective nature that Christ has done a work and if my faith is in him, I am... I am Christ's, and he has saved. So we want to see that distinction in the Bible. And so I think the first place, we're going to mainly be in 1 Peter today. So you can turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read a larger section of the beginning of this chapter. With this point in mind, I want you to consider the tone of Peter as he writes, as he urges these saints to pursue a full assurance of their faith I want you to think about whether or not he is urging this by saying, we know not whether you are saved or not, therefore I want you to make your calling and election sure, or if he is saying, these things are true of you, therefore make your calling and election sure, right? So listen to that difference as we read. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And as I'm reading this, I remembered that I've done this many times. I'm actually wanting to read 2 Peter. They're both very similar, as he, uh, 1 Peter lays out the living hope that we are born into. But 2 Peter comes along and focuses our attention particularly on this assurance. So forgive me. Second Peter is where I wanted to read, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll restart. Simon Peter, a, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, 
by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make, your effort to su- make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there then. And I want you to notice the intentional way that Peter grounds the motivation for pursuing assurance. And it's not a skeptical motivation. Well, we do not know whether your salvation is true or not. Therefore, you better find out. That would be a wrong way to pursue assurance. Peter says this. Looking two places here, he says, first off, um, for this very reason in verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith. And what is that reason? That reason is you have already escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He has already granted to you his precious promises that are very great. He has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you. So that is, you already have a knowledge of Christ. His promises are already yours. He has already granted to you these things, and you have already escaped the corruption of the world. Therefore, because of these things, supplement your faith with virtue. And he goes on. And at the end of that list, very much the same way, he says this, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten what? Having forgotten that Jesus died? No, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That is, you can forget the work of Christ in your heart for a time, and yet there is need to be more diligent in the Christian life. See that. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. The idea here is, why are we being diligent? You're being diligent because to forget the work of Christ in your life, is to be fruitless in the faith, to be quite dry, to to not abound in the knowledge of Christ. But it is not, it should not, it ought not, commit us to some kind of futile search of whether or not we are in Christ, whether or not Christ has truly done a work in our hearts, whether or not his salvation is sure outside of us, whether his work on the cross has happened and has truly redeemed me. So, By just looking at this passage, I'm proposing to you that we distinguish between the faith, which brings salvation, and the assurance or the joy that is brought to you in that faith. Assurance is that by which we can be reflective and say, yes, I am in Christ, and through that, we grow in our joy, we grow in our confidence, we grow in our perseverance, we grow in our diligence, and all of these things add to the blessings of walking and living in the Christian life. And we're going to see the need for persevering in this next. So that's what we're going to. Why do we pursue assurance? And to look at this section, 
we're already starting to see that in 2 Peter chapter 1, but I also want to turn to Romans chapter 5, the first part of Romans chapter 5. We're going to see a very similar list of items. Notice how Peter, while you're turning there, I'm going to remind you, as Peter built this list, this, um, this list that is building upon itself as the Christian is progressing on in this um, diligent pursuit of assurance, saying, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and so on. Romans says this, Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have, have been, notice the past tense, since we have been justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, him we have also, in him we have also obtained, I'm sorry, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that, Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice how he builds those things upon one another. The sufferings, the rejoicing and the sufferings which produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope in the Lord. This is... This is the growth in Christianity, which all of us ought to want and yearn for. And the role that this plays is clearly part of our perseverance in Christ, that is, persevering to the end in faith. Who would, not, who would continue to believe when there is no internal spiritual benefit to it? That is, if there is no joy in Christ, if there is no blessing, if there is no character producing, if there is no hope put before our eyes, what will happen? We will, we will fall away. That profession will prove to have been false. But here, Paul takes a different tact and says, because, therefore, we, since we have been justified, therefore, let us look to see these things growing in our lives. Let us earnestly rejoice in sufferings. Let us Know that the suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And so adding that to the list that we already have seen in 2 Peter, my uh, second point then is that we ought to know the blessings of assurance. We ought to know not only that there is faith in Jesus Christ, but that also assurance being that joy which is given to you, there is much blessing in having a full assurance. And much the opposite of what some uh, Christian traditions would say, such as the Roman Catholic Church, assurance is not a great aid to sloth in the Christian life, but the other way around. Assurance is a definite given thing, and it is a great benefit and aid to continuing in faith, to seeing fruits produced in our lives. So the second thing, practically, is we ought to understand the benefits of assurance. We ought to realize that to rest on Christ to be assured of his salvation and to know that I am in him is of a great blessing and benefit to the believer. Third, then, we want to notice this point. We want to notice that though a believer may ebb and flow 
in his assurance, nevertheless, this does not shake him from his salvation. So to see that a believer may ebb and flow in their assurance, we could go to a whole plethora of different places. I'm going to turn us mostly to the Psalms and just look and see how David's struggle or um, the psalmist's struggle through various um, difficulties may be seen in light of a lack of assurance of faith or a questioning of one's faith, and yet Christ and the Holy Spirit in him perseveres him through to the end. So let's turn to the 70s. Uh, First, Psalm 77 So I'm going, to, I'm going to read this psalm here, and we're, we're looking for um, how this psalm expresses David's heart as he struggles in his faith. So he says this, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, by hand, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? His steadfast love, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Who are you? are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and of Joseph. So, first we notice this psalm recounts how the spirit of the believer can oft time feel as though God's displeasure is upon him. When he says, you hold my eyelids open, when I remember God, it's not to joy, but to moaning. My spirit, when my, I meditate on my spirit and my spirit faints, right? There's, that is, there has no, is no hope in this God whom he knows in his mind. He's still praying to this God. He knows God is there, but it's dry. There's no life given to him in this moment. And he says, so I am troubled and I cannot speak. And I think we can there's perhaps, you know, the, the Psalms are written in a poetic way. These can apply to different applications many times. But at a minimum, we could see this. This is not the um, writings of one who has a full assurance and rejoicing in the hope of God at this particular moment. At the moment he pens this, he finds no joy in God. He, he moans. He, he struggles. And yet, what does he do? 
he goes on and he says, I will set my affections on, or my, I will remember the steadfast love of the Lord. And he goes on to talk about, uh, to ask these rhetorical questions. Have his promises failed? Has his steadfast love ceased? Will he never again be favorable? And he, and he points himself to this objective nature of God. And so what we're seeing here is that a Christian may rightly still be a Christian and yet ebb and flow in their assurance. There's times where we just feel God is not there. Is God real to me? Why do I struggle like this? I thought I should be past this in my Christian life by now. And yet God will persevere us through these things. And so we don't sit and we don't want to remain in a state of no assurance for long because it is a blessing to be assured and a blessing to grow in faith. And yet it ought not to second guess, we ought not to second guess the work of God and the work of Christ and the witness of the Holy Spirit when those seasons of dark and doubt are upon us. And so, fourthly, our last point then is, how practically does one come to then rebuild or regain assurance in times when they are struggling with doubt? How ought we to do this? And the first thing we want to say, we already started to see this in Psalm 77, the psalmist points himself to the objective nature of God outside of himself, right? When I meditate, my spirit thinks, but... He says, let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search, and with a diligent search, he remembered these things. Will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Is his steadfast love cease? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his anger shut up his compassion? Do you see what he's appealing to? He's appealing to the nature of God, and he's not appealing to what he feels about God. He says, do I not feel that God is this way or that? He's appealing to the objective knowledge of who God is. Okay, I don't feel the presence of God. I may not even know whether I believe in this moment because I'm so strapped with these doubts. And yet, I know that God is this way. I know this is who God is. Therefore, I can encourage my spirit in that. So that, again, is the objective um, nature of God and his promises. But there is also means by which God uses to strengthen us in these things. That is, there's private means and there is public means that we can rely on or um, pursue God through those things because God has accompanied them with his promises. Think of, uh, let's, let's finish then in Second Peter where we started. Um, you can keep all the texts in mind and hopefully this is working together uh, in a way that's helpful for you. But we'll finish in 2 Peter and see some of these means that were mixed into the list that Peter was already talking about. So, we're going to look, let's read this, read this section again, starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, you are, in, 
you, are, or if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his, from his former sins. So, I think a first, as we already said, a helpful definition is of, of lack of assurance is the one who is nearsighted and forgotten that he has been cleansed from his sins. And here, Peter tells us that we can progress on, we can persevere, sorry, I'm looking for a word, pursue these list of virtues, and they are guards to us against falling into this state of nearsightedness. And if we look specifically at this list, notice what it says. There are things in there that seem to be of a perhaps private nature, right? Where it says, adding to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Now, some of this is, is character building. As we, we study the word, we look, we persevere in the things that God has given us to obey in. But some of these things are public also. Brotherly affection. The teaching of God's word builds knowledge. These things are listed here as well for our benefit, for our aid. So when we look at this list, we ought to think, and bringing, bringing the light of other scriptures together about how um, Hebrews has told us to persevere in assembling the, of the saints together and how God has commanded certain things to strengthen our faith through um, prayer, through reading of the word, and through the, um, practicing the Lord's table and of baptism. And with all these things together, we see that these are all aids to doing what Peter is commanding here to do. These are aids in supplementing the faith with virtue, with knowledge through the teaching of the word. That is, and we are to practice self-control, steadfastness, pursuing godliness, and brotherly affection. How will you gain brotherly affection if you are separated from the brothers? How will you gain knowledge if you're not in the word and being taught by the word? And so implicit in all these things is the means by which we would be um, made and assured of our salvation. Is that making sense? These things are... Um, written in a way that are, they're given as aims, but to get there, you've got to pass through the methods, right? Like, if, if you're going to get virtue, if you're going to get godliness, if you're going to have brotherly affection, you must be in the assembly of saints so that you would have brotherly affection. You must be learning about God that you might know God. You must be, um, have, you must have examples put in front of you of virtue, and likewise be giving those examples to others. And so, the, um, the fabric of this whole text really presses us on to realize there are, there are ordinary means that God has given for us to gain and increase in our assurance of faith. So those are, those are our, four, our four points today. First, if we're, if we're struggling in faith, we want to make a distinction between faith, which is of salvation, and assurance, which can appropriate the blessings of God to the soul and truly rejoice and experience the blessings of knowing that assurance is mine. That is, we can be quite um, depressed, quite um, dissatisfied with our own Christian life, and quite shaken at times, and nevertheless, a Christian does not lose the fact that God's promises are true to him, that God's nature has not changed, that he has been faithful to his promises in the past, and he will lift you up in the future. And therefore, with that in mind, having distinguished between um, 
between faith and assurance, let us realize that it is nevertheless a great blessing to have an assurance of faith. So we don't aim to wallow or to remain in the state of having no assurance. There is no virtue in staying there. There is no blessing in staying there. But we ought to pursue full assurance of faith. And to pursue those things, we understand that God has given means. He has given us brothers and sisters. He has given us his word and teaching. He has given us the sacraments. And he has given us prayer that we might progress in these things and find again that joy that accompanies salvation. We have a few questions. Any, or if we have a few moments for questions, if there are any thoughts or just uh, helpful considerations, anything that I said was confusing or um, jumbled, maybe all of it. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good question, and I, I should answer that with a text, probably not just with my own, uh, own conjecture, but I will say first off that it doesn't seem like the scriptures ever point someone who's struggling in faith to the works of their own hands or what they're doing, right? So while... It is true that one of the roots of assurance that we talked about was um, the, the evidences of faith, the graces that accompany salvation, right? And so there is there's an extent to which we can see the evidence of grace in our own life. That is not so much to be about us as much as it is to be the work of God in us, right? So I make that caveat there. And then with that said, I don't know why it would need to be an either or right? So if Peter tells us to pursue these things, make every effort or be diligent in these things, right? We shouldn't think, well, until I get them, it's of no benefit because we're never going to be totally godly and totally virtuous, right? This is, this is a pursuit of these things. And so I think the diligence in pursuing them is the, is the strengthening that God has ordained. So maybe that helps a little bit, um, I, I tend to lean a little bit towards that second one, but I, I think both are are true in their own place. That's a good question, though. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you. How wonderful it is to have a salvation which is not uh, only offered and given in some potential way. But Lord, you have given us rest, a sure hope, a solid joy. And this is a great salvation. Our hearts rejoice in not being uh, left stranded, as it were, wondering, will I be with you one day, Lord? Your promises are sure. And so we ask that uh, you would teach our hearts the surety of these things, that you, by your Spirit, would um, come and strengthen our, our understanding of your promises, understanding of the work that you have accomplished in providing an atonement for our sins, and thus we would 
uh, have a greater measure of assurance in our lives, that you would produce in our lives fruits and evidences of grace, and that our eyes would be continually set more and more upon that objective work of Christ so that our um, Christian lives would not be lives of nearsightedness, though we are not totally blind, Lord, having, been, having seen our, our sin. Without assurance, we can be uh, so nearsighted that we, we forget what you have done. So rather, in our Christian lives, let us be those who are um, farsighted, who see the work of Christ and the, the eternal hope that is set before us. And may we uh, find much joy in our Christian lives and walk uh, that we might be a blessing to others around us who may likewise be struggling with assurance. And, um, and also, Lord, that you would just accompany all of the, the duties of obeying you with uh, a great um, enlargening of our hearts to walk in your ways. Help us, I pray, in your name. Amen.